the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. If we have been loved and forgiven by God in such an incredible way, how is it that divorce, which is the severing of that relationship, how is it that we can go forward with something that God doesn't do towards us, even though we have offended Him and wronged Him in so many ways and in so many times? God doesn't just divorce us. In today's message, Pastor Gary will share with you about divorce and why God hates it. Now, let's get one thing straight. The word hate often has a connotation of anger, but that's not the case in this situation. However, divorce is a picture of the relationship between God and the believer. All throughout the Bible, the body of Christ is called the Bride of Christ. This symbolizes Christ's dedication to us and our union with Him. When divorce happens, it's a severing. God doesn't divorce us. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. I think either approach is fine. If, if, if you want to say, I forgive you, knowing that you don't really feel it yet and you trust the feelings will come, or if you say, I want to forgive you, but I want to, I want to wait until the Lord helps me to process this so I can genuinely feel it and express it to you, either way, the, the bottom line is we have to be people of forgiveness. And there will be offenses, and there will be sins against us, and there will be things that are done and God requires us to be forgiving because we have received forgiveness. Now, Colossians 3.13 is a great verse. Mark it down in your Bibles. Colossians 3.13, it says this. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. That's a tall order. I mean, how has the Lord forgiven you? How have you experienced His forgiveness? God says, now I want you to turn and do that to others. If you can get a hold of anything on this subject written by Corey Ten Boom, do it, because she was a remarkable woman who, uh, many of you know her story, but uh, she was in a Nazi concentration camp with her family. Uh, the rest of her family died, was put in the gas chambers. She uh, survived and then lived to tell about her, her ordeal until the day she died, uh, I think she died in the 80s. Uh, pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, uh, my pastor, did her funeral. And she had remarkable things to say about how the Lord just grew her through that whole experience and 
in the concentration camp. And uh, she writes in one of her books, I, I don't know uh, which one, but she writes about how uh, she was uh, in her latter years traveling to churches around the world really uh, talking about um, forgiveness, talking about the subject of forgiveness and how the Lord had to work on her own heart to forgive the, uh, the SS officers in, in Nazi Germany who exterminated her own family and, and all the, the personal uh, torment that she went through and watching her family die and all of this. And she was talking about the subject of forgiveness and giving her testimony. And at the end of one of her um, times sharing at a church, this gentleman walked up to her and stuck out his hand and asked for her forgiveness. And she recognized as she looked into his eyes that he was the SS officer who had uh, killed her sister. And uh, she talks about how being put on that spot at that moment to have to extend her hand and to, sh- and to look him in the eyes and to say, I forgive you, was one of the hardest things that she's ever had to, to do. But yet she practiced what she preached, if you will. And, um, and she talks about how liberating it was for her to finally be able to forgive the monster that had uh, taken her own family's life. So, look, it is, it is not always easy. Uh, the Bible doesn't say it's easy to forgive, but it tells us that we need to because we need to practice what we ourselves have received. So now, uh, when you head here with me into chapter 19, we come to this uh, subject of divorce. And uh, between verses 1 through uh, 12, uh, there is this section here. And in the time we have remaining, I'm going to do the best I can to make my way through it. Uh, But let me read it all together, and then we'll come back and talk about it. So here, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. Notice this. They're not being sincere. They They came to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, they've come to test Jesus here on the subject of divorce because there was a conservative view of the the subject of divorce, and there was a liberal view of the subject of divorce. And in Jesus' day, much like our own day, it was rampant. And so some Pharisees come to test him. They want to know what side of the argument does he fall on. The, the conservative side of the argument or the liberal side of the argument. And it was all based, all of this was based, the issue at hand was the interpretation of Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Now, this is what Deuteronomy 24, 1 says. 
If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce. And then the verse continues. But the main controversy in Jesus' day, and the reason that they're trying to test him, was over one particular word in this verse, and it is the word indecent. If you have a King James Bible, it says the word unclean. And the question became, what defines indecent? If you can divorce your wife because she's done something indecent, then what defines indecent? Because then we can know what is a legitimate reason to divorce. So again, indecent or King James says unclean. What defines indecent or unclean? Now, there were two schools of thought in Jesus' day on the subject of Deuteronomy 24.1 and specifically what does the word indecent mean? And in Jesus' day, Jesus was considered a rabbi. He was considered a, a respectful teacher, although we know he was much more than a rabbi. He was more than a prophet. He was Messiah. He was Son of God. But there were schools of thought, even in Jesus' day, depending on what little circles uh, you traveled in. And there was one rabbi in, in, in Jesus' day called Rabbi Shammai. And he interpreted Deuteronomy 24.1, the word indecent, to mean sexual immorality. And that was it. And so there were some who leaned towards, this is the conservative view of the subject of divorce. Then when it comes to what constitutes uh, your wife doing something indecent or unclean, uh, the school of Rabbi Shammai said it has to do with sexual immorality. If your wife has committed sexual immorality, or you can reverse it if you're husband, but in this day it's, it's a strongly patriarchal society, and so the men would, uh, uh, they would pursue the divorces and they would have the reasons for just cause. And, and so he was saying it has to be sexual sin. If she hasn't committed sexual sin, then you don't qualify for Deuteronomy 24.1. But then there was a more liberal, kind of a very lax view on Deuteronomy 24.1, and, and that was taught by Rabbi Hillel. And he had a few different things, and you can read this in the Talmud, in the Jewish Talmud, that define what constitutes indecent. For example, not making this stuff up, uh, if she puts too much salt in your dinner... That's indecent. Kick her out. That's what he said. He also said, if she spins around in public joyfully, she's making a fool of herself, acting too silly, divorce her. That's acceptable. That's indecent. How about this one? He says, if she's seen in public with her hair down instead of bound tightly, get rid of her. That's inappropriate. That's indecent. That's unclean. He also said... If she's speaking to another man in public, you can divorce her for that. He also said that saying anything bad about her in-laws, <laughs> divorce her for that, ladies. Aren't you glad you're under grace? Come on. If you said anything bad about his parents, he could divorce you. And then if she were a brawling woman, and by that what is meant was that if she was so loud that the neighbors could hear her, that's indecent, divorce her. Now, you have these two schools of thought. And these, these Pharisees who are coming to test Jesus, they're wanting to know, are you more conservative or are you more liberal? Now, the crowd was used to more of the liberal reasons. We're just going to divorce, you know, this no-fault stuff. We're just going to get rid of our spouses and, and you know, it's going to be a swift thing. We're going to wash our hands. 
And then there was this more conservative view, and so they were trying to pin Jesus against the wall to see which group is he going to alienate here. And uh, one of the things that is noteworthy about Jesus' response is that when he replies, the first thing he does here is he focuses on marriage, not on divorce. And he's going to remind them of God's original intent. He goes back to the beginning. He goes back here to the book of Genesis. So instead of first, he's going to answer the controversy. But, but instead of first addressing that, he's going to say, listen, we need, to, we need to understand first the original intent behind marriage. We need to understand the foundation of marriage. And that's why he says in verse 4, haven't you read, which I, I love that because here the Pharisees pride themselves on being experts in the law. And Jesus is basically saying, don't you know your Bibles? You experts in the law, don't you know? Haven't you read? And he starts out by saying that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, he was quoting right out of the book of Genesis. In fact, at the end of Genesis chapter 2, I'll just read to you, it says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. He quotes right here from Genesis 2.24. It's interesting that when, when the Lord says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united, or King James says he will cleave. Uh, That word, to be united or to cleave, is the Hebrew word dabach, which is, you get the the noun form derived from that word, to be united, is is translated glue. And God intends that a husband or wife should be glued, that they should be one, and there's a physical consummation that binds them physically, but this is also a spiritual union before God that is binding in his eyes. And, and so Jesus is taking the Pharisees back to original intent and original design. He says, now look, God created male and female. Isn't that sad that it has to be defined? But it does. It has to be male and female. If it had been male and male or female and female in the garden, it would have ended right? There's no reproductive abilities between two men or two women. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, says, we need a man and a woman here. And so male and female, God created them, and so that union was God-ordained. And the first thing that Jesus is emphasizing here is that God is the divine designer of marriage and that he has ownership of it. Because if if you don't recognize that God is the originator of marriage, He designed it and He owns marriage. It is His institution. If you don't understand that, then you'll be given to just kind of this indiscriminate, whimsical, I'm just going to get divorced. It is not yours. It is God's. He has ordained marriage. He has instituted it. So it is His to create and it is only His to absolve. He owns it. Marriage is divinely designed. And the other thing that Jesus is saying here is that marriage is a physical union that is spiritually binding before God. And that's the other part where he talks about the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. And therefore, what God has joined together, not man, a ceremony is something that people do, but it is before God recognizing that God has joined them that this is a God-ordained, God-purposed, God-led moment. This is His work in the hearts and lives of this man and this woman, and so God joins them. And uh, there's physical union, there's a consummation here, there's a sexual union, 
that consummates the marriage. And so it is a physical union, but it is spiritually binding before God. So Jesus lays this framework. He says, we, we need to all understand this original design, original intent. This is God's, this is the ownership of marriage. He implemented it, he instituted it, and he joins couples together. And then when he responds, because they ask, verse 7, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now, underline that word, command. They get it wrong. They say, why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Note with me that when Jesus begins now to address this, what we'll call Moses controversy, he makes note of the fact that they got the word wrong because in response, verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted. He didn't command. He permitted. God never commands divorce. He never commands it but he permits it in some situations. But God hates divorce. That's what Malachi 2.16 tells us. God hates it. And why do you think God hates divorce? It's not just because he implemented it and instituted it. It's because marriage exemplifies God's love and permanence towards us. That Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. And it kind of goes back to the parable of the unmerciful servant. If... We have been loved and forgiven by God in such an incredible way. How is it that divorce, which is the severing of that relationship, how is it that we can go forward with something that God doesn't do towards us, even though we have offended Him and wronged Him in so many ways and in so many times? God doesn't just divorce us. God doesn't dismiss us. God doesn't get rid of us because we have wronged him, sinned against him, offended him. He still loves us and he's merciful and he he has compassion. But then in a human relationship, when we decide, well, you've wronged me or you've sinned against me and I'm going to just divorce you, we are not honoring the relationship that God has given unto us in the same loving way that he forgives and he restores and he uh, is gracious towards us. We don't do that in marriage when we just sever and divorce and decide we're just done. God doesn't treat us like that. So he hates it when we are treating each other like that. That's why he hates divorce. Now, as Jesus then moves into this understanding here, he says, look, Moses permitted this. God didn't command it. Moses permitted it. And why did he permit it? He says, because of your hardness of heart. That sometimes in a marriage, there becomes such hardness of heart where one or often both do not want to take the necessary steps towards reconciliation. They're hard at heart. And Moses said because there was this ongoing hardness where people did not want to reconcile, he permitted it, but it was not God's original intent. It was not God's original design. And he takes it back to that because he says, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And this is where then Jesus gives one of the two reasons for acceptable divorce, never commanded, but permissible. Uh, And the one is, he says clearly here, marital unfaithfulness. He sides, or I should say the school of Rabbi Shammai sided with God, but in terms of the conventional wisdom of the day, the great debate, is it Shammai, is it Hillel? 
Jesus comes down to the side of Shammai because he says, look, it has to be sexual immorality. That's, that's only a reason why someone is indecent enough to sever the marital bonds because they've committed sexual sin and they have severed the marital covenant by their own marital unfaithfulness. Now, Jesus uses the word here. It's in the Greek, pornea. It is a broad term. It covers not just adultery, but it covers sexual immorality of various kinds. It is a broad term. Jesus is giving a little broadness there because there can be various types of sexual sin. Uh, I don't need to get graphic and I don't need to define it all, but, but that's why Jesus uses a generic term like pornea because he says there can be sexual immorality that severs the marital covenant that is not just simply the act of adultery. There can be other forms. And uh, so he speaks here about marital unfaithfulness. Now, there is in Scripture another reason where divorce might be permissible. And by the way, before I explain what the second one is, if there's been marital unfaithfulness in your marriage, it does... Jesus is not saying, now you should get divorced. He's saying it's permissible. God is always, because it's His nature, He's always first about forgiveness and restoration. That's His nature. That's what He is with us. So even if there's been a horrible uh, breaking of marital faithfulness, He's not saying, now you should get divorced. That might be the end result after trying to work on it and, and, and getting the Lord's help and healing, but he's not suggesting this should happen. He's saying this is a permissible reason. And so if you've gone through that, uh, some of your marriages have been miraculously restored. It doesn't mean it's, it still may not hurt from time to time, but God miraculously can heal and restore. And then there are other times where... It just is so difficult, and the insurmountable amount of betrayal seems to be so deep that it's so difficult for people, and and they just simply feel like they can't reconcile. And Jesus says, it's permissible. It's not ideal, but it's permissible. Now, the second thing that the Bible teaches us as a grounds for divorce is abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. And this is what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And he talks about how if you are a believer and you're married to an unbeliever... If your unbeliever, the unbelieving spouse, wants to remain in the marriage, remain in the marriage. And it might be tough, but remain in the marriage. Because he talks about how your unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse, meaning that the unbelieving spouse is exposed to a greater degree of godliness and Jesus and the Bible through your believing life. So he he says... Don't divorce if your unbelieving spouse wants to stay married to you because you might be the only good witness and example of Christ to that unbelieving spouse. However, he says, if your unbelieving spouse wants to leave and you have done everything you can to try to hold it together, uh, you can let your unbelieving spouse go. And that's what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And these really are the only two grounds, according to Scripture, for divorce. Now this leaves, I'm aware, I'm quite aware after 20-some years of pastoral ministry, this leaves wide open a lot of other issues. Open. 
is your new life. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know